Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us here for AOA. In honor of the Good Friday holiday, the commodity markets are closed today. That's Friday, April 7th. And, well, if you were watching the trade on Thursday, that concern about potential weather and news over the three-day holiday certainly contributed to the bearish tone on Thursday's trade. We did see beans climb off their lows. However, old crop was still down 16 to 18 cents. New crop down 6. Corn also lower heading into the weekend, 7 to 9 cents down. And that old crop market for in December 23. Entirely different story in Thursday's live and feeder cattle markets. April live cattle powered through the $160 range up $2.67.5 closing at $171.05. Packers were short bought in the countryside. Continued to see stronger cash bids. The bulk of the trade on Thursday was around $177 in the north. Analysts are currently expecting the slaughter next week to be cut by potentially 20 to 30 thousand head well folks with today being a market holiday we've given our guests a break and the rest of today's episode will revisit previous conversations beginning with marcia bunger administrator of usda's risk management agency we spoke last friday about some new options coming from that agency to more farmers across the country administrator bunger thank you so much for joining us here today thank you for having me good morning Let's talk about this big announcement happened yesterday. We are seeing margin protection insurance rolled out to many more counties across the country. Administrator Bunger, let's talk first. What is MP for folks who might not be familiar with it? Certainly. Margin protection provides you coverage against um, unexpected decrease in your operating margin. So it would be margin less input costs. Margin protection is an area based using county level estimates of average revenue and input costs to establish the amount of coverage and indemnity payments. Because margin protection is an area-based average of your county, it may not reflect your individual experience. A payment may be made when the harvest margin for the county is lower than the trigger margin due to a decrease in revenue and or increase in input costs. Margin protection will cover a portion of that shortfall. And so, yes, we are excited to announce that we've expanded the opportunity in several states and several counties. Currently, so before this announcement, there were 12 states and 780 counties with margin protection for beans. And after this expansion, there are now 34 states and 2,066 counties. Um, currently for corn, there were 12 states and 793 counties. And in essence, for corn, margin, expand, margin protection has expanded now to the lower 48. And so that's a total of 2,521 counties. Well, that is a huge expansion. And when we think about margin protection in practice, Marcia, that's been around since 2016, as you mentioned, a number of producers have used it. And what's been the feedback so far from the program? I think it's the tell of how much we've expanded it. We've received a lot of feedback asking for the expansion. Um, and um, so obviously we're responding to that at RMA. 
with the 508H process. This is a private submission that comes to the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation Board. And um, we work with the private submitter along with our own people to make sure that we're continuing to make it actuarially sound and that we are um, implementing the necessary guardrails to keep it um, sound as far as integrity. Um, I think people need to though understand that it is a little bit more complicated um, because while it's available, it may not always be what you need for your operation. So please, 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 you know, sit down and take the time with your crop insurance agent to have them explain the different scenarios as a result. I think because of the fact that we've looked back this many years, there's been enough scenarios to, to work through and talk through so that the producer really understands what he's buying. Absolutely. And as we think about margin protection, particularly for those new growers who now have access to it, Marcia, is it possible to layer margin protection with yield protection, revenue protection, the other insurance products that are out there? It is. And so great, great segue. Um, you can buy just margin protection. So it's not a requirement to have an underlying um, traditional policy. But yet at the same time, if you want that expanded coverage, um, that would be also an opportunity to look at combining revenue protection and yield protection with a margin protection endorsement. Absolutely. Now, Administrator Bunger, of course, you're not just on the administrative side. You also get your, your fingernails dirty in the ground there. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your operation in South Dakota or these products that you've utilized? I would love to. Thank you for that question. Um, my husband and I farm in the southeastern part of South Dakota. We have a 1,200-acre um, row crop farm, corn and beans. We do a little bit with oats. Um, we have a 200-head cow-calf operation. Um, and so, of course, we not only market and sell our grain, but we're also feeding um, livestock. So it's, it's a diverse operation. Um, you know, we've now been farming 41 years. And the last 27, we've had crop insurance. And it has been a cornerstone. Um, it's a very vital aspect of maintaining our operation. Um, you know, in the years past, we've seen in this part of the country anyway, drought, excessive moisture. Um, in the last year, I've seen my first derecho. Um, so farmers do a great job. They work hard and so, I am just happy that we're able to continue to provide tools in the toolbox for them to mitigate the the unknowns of what weather can do to their um, to their to their operation. Absolutely, weather can throw everybody a curveball. Marcia, this change was announced yesterday. It does take some time to put into practice. Can you fill us in on the timeline? When will producers be able to sign up for this? What crop year will it apply in? Thank you. Yes, they will start to be able to talk to their agents and sign up for it in June of this summer, and it would become effective for the 2023, or I'm sorry, because we are in the 23. It would become effective for the next crop year, so for 24. All right, folks, it is coming up. It's getting on us very soon. Administrator Bunger, if folks want to learn more about this announcement, where can they go at the USDA website to read more about it in detail? Yes please go to www.rma.usda.gov 
www.ncpsafe.gov to see what we have for information there. But again, as a former crop insurance agent, I would really encourage producers to contact their own crop insurance agent and start to get into the weeds um, fairly soon. Um, you know, I think about how busy things are going to be getting for farmers. They're going to be planting, spraying, um, cutting hay. Um, but June is when I think agents will first become available to talk to. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. Talk with your agent. You likely now do have margin protection available for that 24 season. Our thanks to Administrator Marsha Bunger of the RMA. Marsha, thanks for joining us today. Thank you and have a great day. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking with Dr. Daryl Peel of Oklahoma State University here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol called E15 is the lowest price fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st, unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. 
We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are Fighting Blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We're going to turn our focus to things developing in Washington, D.C. The Biden administration has written a new WOTUS rule that has been hotly contested in the courts, and it has been hotly contested in Congress. After a vote yesterday, we're going to talk about what that rule means for cattle producers. Joining us today is South Dakota cattleman Justin Tupper. He serves as president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And Justin, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You know, as we think about all of the issues pending in Washington, D.C., WOTUS is one of those that we've been grappling with as an industry for some time. Justin, from the perspective of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, how are you feeling about the Biden administration's rule and the Senate vote yesterday to repeal it? Yeah, I think that's a very clear message that uh, uh, we definitely are are not in favor, and we want to make sure that uh, uh, we can go back to some of these WOTUS rules that make sense. Uh, It seems like common sense kind of goes out the window. Uh, We get into these uh, discussions about uh, who owns the waters and and who ought to be regulating them, and I think out in ranch country, uh, it's a pretty uh, common and clear consensus uh, that we want to leave it the way it's been, and 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 we like the Trump era policies that uh, we're overseeing. Lotus. Absolutely, and of course, you're still active in Washington D.C., pushing for that approach—an approach that uh, Justin would allow farmers to look at the land and determine whether or not it's a wetland. Right? The idea is not have so many uh, outside consultants come in and make these decisions. Right? Absolutely. I mean, I think the the best stewards and the best uh, uh, people in position to uh, make those judgments are the ones that are out there working the land and have been doing it for generations. Uh, We don't need somebody to come in and tell us uh, that that's uh, all changed and going to be different when we've done it generationally uh, in one way. And and that's what we believe ought to be left alone. So a lot of government overreach. I think it was, like I said, a very, very clear message when you have the Senate and the House uh, rejecting Biden's WOTUS rules. That is a really good point. The Senate vote was yesterday, and it was a bipartisan vote to repeal Biden's WOTUS rule, but that follows the House vote, which also, I believe, was bipartisan. Both have signed on to tell the administration to roll this back, but, Justin, it's expected President Biden's going to veto this thing. What is USCA encouraging their members to do to keep this fight going in D.C.? Well, I think we got to continue to push our senators and our congresspeople to make sure that if he does uh, veto it, that we can override it. And, and I think there's uh, definite possibilities that can happen. And, and that's going to take uh, a groundswell and, and people to stand up and say, uh, this is not what we want. And, and a very clear message that uh, uh, we, we need to make sure that we can control these uh, issues and not the big government uh, telling us what to do. So I, I think it's going to be huge. And I think it's one of those things where uh, many of the uh, cattle organizations, which we don't always agree, but uh, this is one of them where we've got to stand uh, hand in hand and make sure that uh, we can get this uh, back to manageable and, and workable for the people that are actually out there doing the job. 
That is a great point, Justin. At the end of the day, the folks working the land are the folks that generally have to live on the land. They're committed to keeping it nice and, and making sure it's productive and returning for their families. And of course, we always see things in D.C. that can throw that asunder. WOTUS is one. We'll watch that battle play out the remainder of this year. But there's also a lot of discussion, Justin, around emissions in Washington, D.C. I understand John Thune, your senator there in South Dakota, along with Kristen Cinema, has introduced some uh, regulation there legislation that could help protect cattle producers there. Can you fill us in a little bit on what's coming? Well, I, I think, again, when we got to uh, have Congress talking about cow, cow farts, so to speak, that uh, maybe it's not the uh, highest uh, issues they ought to have to worry about. But we do thank Senator Thune uh, for introducing a bill to exempt uh, emissions from livestock. Uh, we know uh, uh, that, that this is an issue that some of the climate people would really like to push, and, and, and it's just been proven absolutely false. So uh, we've, we've got to make sure that uh, they can't come in here and dictate uh, how we uh, manage our cattle based on uh, some kind of emissions that they have uh, trumped up and made sure that the, uh, it goes against the way that we work our cattle and the way we move them across the land. So uh, I think uh, Senator Thune is spot on there. Uh, making sure that we, we can, uh, again, um, manage the way we need to, not the way that the climate uh, people just want to trump up a, a different uh, uh, narrative and make us uh, beat to that drum. Absolutely, Justin. I mean, do you think uh, Senator Thune had, has explored this issue? Do you think he has a deep understanding of, of what's happening here with the emissions, particularly for cattle producers there in your state of South Dakota? I do. I think uh, without a doubt, Senator Thune definitely uh, uh, has a, a, a deep uh, recognition of how important it is, uh, especially in western South Dakota here. We're, we're in the grasslands. This is uh, the land is not suitable for uh, tillage. Uh, so it, it needs to be uh, managed and run with cattle. And, and that's how we convert some of those uh, legumes into uh, great tasting proteins. And uh, so I think, yes, Senator Thune uh, uh, grew up there. He's very astute in, in uh, uh, this issue, and I think uh, we appreciate him for bringing this forward. Absolutely. Just while we're talking here today, I'd like you to take off your USCA hat, put back on your, your South Dakota cattleman's hat, and talk a little bit about that grassland that you've got up there. South Dakota producers certainly hit by drought this past year. This year, there's a pile of snow on the ground. Are attitudes improving for those cattlemen in your state? Yeah, you know, we, we've been uh, two or three years here uh, with uh, some extreme drought. Uh, we've, we've had some uh, moisture through the winter, giving us some hope. I think that uh, uh, definitely cattle numbers have taken a, a big hit here through, I'm talking eastern Montana, western South Dakota, western North Dakota, and eastern Wyoming, our trade area here. And and uh, I, I think we're going to see that uh, reflect in, in some of the prices. It's just a sheer uh, less cattle around and, and uh, uh, a widespread drought from uh, north to south the last year has really elevated this issue. We've, we've culled a lot of cows. Uh, so we're going to have to work to get those numbers back. But in the short term, uh, it can have some good effects on prices. And uh, we definitely look forward to that with all the uh, uh, inflation and, and our input costs as high as they've been. So uh, we definitely need the, these prices to continue to climb. Absolutely. With the elevated price of inputs, it certainly is good to have those consumers demanding beef at the grocery store. But if with the numbers coming down, I've got to imagine, Justin, we'll hear more call for meat imports in this next year. USDA looking to allow imports from the country of Paraguay. USDA, I imagine, probably wouldn't love to see that happen, correct? 
No, we've called on the uh, secretary not only to uh, ban uh, from uh, those uh, Paraguay states, also uh, Brazil uh, has proven to be a, a continual bad actor in this arena. Uh, and, and the longer we let those go, we've, we've called on the secretary to uh, uh, ban all imports from Brazil until they want to play from the civil, same level playing field that our producers have to. And uh, uh, right now that's not happening. So uh, I, I don't think uh, we always get into this issue and we talk about we want to be total. We want to have it all for ourselves and, and, and not have any competition. That's just not the case. We just want them to play on the same field. Uh, the same rules and, and, and abide by the same safety measures that we do. So uh, I think that applies to Paraguay and Brazil, uh, and we hope the secretary takes action soon on that. Absolutely. If they want to sit at the big table, they got to play with the big table's rules. Justin, you work with a lot of livestock producers there across the state. I'm curious about electronic IDs. What's USCA working on? What have you heard on that uh, particular goal here from the administration? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, our producers in this area definitely are interested in keeping our herds safe. So, uh, but we also don't want them infringing upon our uh, individual rights and, and telling us that we have to ID these cattle. I think there's ways that uh, we could get the government to sit down and work with us, that we could, we could definitely uh, find viable ways that we can track these cattle in case of disease outbreak uh, without having to... Uh, go all the way to electronically IDing every uh, hoof and, and managing every uh, uh, movement of those as the way it goes. I think we have systems that are in place that can do that. Uh, we, we definitely believe that uh, uh, if we move forward with anything, it's got to be a way that we can uh, um, move in commerce and we can't uh, impede commerce because of uh, uh, some of these ID issues. So uh, it, it's a work in progress. Uh, we definitely would we would like to sit at the table and have the conversations, but uh, most of our producers in this area are not willing and do not want to be uh, forced to uh, put electronic IDs in all livestock just to have them ID'd. Absolutely. And you mentioned it's getting involved, having those conversations with regulators and legislators. I understand USCA will be doing their fly-in this summer, June 4th to the 7th. Justin, where can folks go to learn more about what USCA is working on? Yeah, absolutely. Go to uscattleman.org uh, and uh, sign up to come to our fly-in. We, we, we love to have producers there, and uh, I've always had uh, anybody that's come along to that has uh, been happy they did and uh, learned lots more about how government works. Absolutely. It's good to have a little bit of folks with some manure on their boots explaining how the industry works to our friends in D.C. Our thanks to Justin Tupper, president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, for joining us today. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA coming up here when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to farm rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. 
Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. No market trade on the day on Friday for Good Friday as traders will have off until Monday. We come back to a normal week of trade. We saw a mixed bag across the board as we wrap things up on Thursday. Really, soybean complex crumbling corn following suit with spillover pressure from beans with good planting weather ahead. Also, outside macro factors with the jobs uh, reports that have been out here this past week all weighing in. Just a lot of different headwinds in front of the market. Uh, Weaker chart signals and beans with the recession worries that contributed to things. The fundamental influences, of course. Uh, Traders really just didn't want to build ownership of quarter beans ahead of the three-day weekend. Amid fears that China will take significant steps of retaliation over the weekend for the Taiwan president's meeting with U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. We have soybean basis premiums in Brazil breaking as farmers sell their massive crop off the combine. And then again, the improving weather forecast for the Midwest, all adding pressure to the market trade. We had a really strong day in the cattle market on Friday with triple-digit strength across the board as we're setting some new uh, record highs for weighted averages uh, in cattle trade, at least in dress trade. While the hog market, even though we had a marketing year high in weekly export sales of pork, we finished relatively mixed on the day on Thursday. For the week, May corn closed 17 cents lower, December corn down 9 to 3 quarters, May beans 13 cents lower, while November beans were down 10 cents on the week. May Chicago wheat was down 16 to 3 quarters cents, KC wheat was down 13 and a quarter cents, and Minneapolis May wheat finished 21 and a half cents lower on the week. We saw crude oil on Thursday finish 15 cents lower, 80.46, with the Dow Jones finishing 9 points lower. Again, no markets on Friday. We'll resume trade on Monday. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back. 
ladies and gentlemen, to AOA for the past three weeks as we have been talking about the broader outside market impacts on the world of agriculture. They've kind of come back to one thing, and that's the the controversy surrounding banking in this country after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in New York City. And that had me wondering, how are banks across the countryside faring in this volatile environment? Well, joining us today for an update on community banks across America, we're going to be speaking with Ann Balser. She is the Senior Executive Vice President for Government Affairs at the Independent Community Bankers of America. And Anne, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. We're also going to be talking with Gus Barker. He's the President and CEO of First Community Bank in Newell, Iowa. And Gus, appreciate you joining us today. Hey, I appreciate being here. Thank you, Mike. Let's take a step back, get a look on the read of things at the 10,000-foot level, and if you would, could you break down for us what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature? Do we have a minute or two to at least get the facts right on that situation? We certainly do. You know, the the facts surrounding the abrupt, you know, failure of both Signature, excuse me, Silicon Valley and, and Signature Bank really stemmed from the business practices at each bank. These are pretty large banks. You know, these aren't the banks that are the ICBA members. These are, you know, banks with over a hundred billion in assets that had a concentration in deposits in some pretty volatile industries, whether it was cryptocurrency or, you know, venture capital funds. Um, and they also had to make things, you know, a little bit more risky or that exposed them to additional risk was they invested their, you know, the, the cash on hand, if you, if you will, in um, long-term, you know, investments like treasury bonds and, and other securities um, that, were not easily, you know, converted to cash or, or easily liquid and uh, had very long duration. So when the Federal Reserve started raising rates and they saw, you know, a significant decline in those investment portfolios, coupled with, you know, volatile industries that they banked, um, it, it created a real liquidity crunch for them and they weren't able to really cover it. So the, the Federal Reserve with the FDIC and the U.S. Treasury stepped in and took the um, both banks into receivership um, to, you know, essentially stop the bleeding, ensure that depositors weren't going to take losses as a result of runs on those two banks that were, you know, leading up to the the, the failure. Um, and in doing so, the you know all the all the depositors, even those that were had deposits in excess of you know the typical um, insurance limits um, of two hundred fifty thousand you know per depositor, um, all were were made whole as a result. Um, and as as you mentioned in your opening remarks, that has created you know some turmoil, um, really more in the equity markets than than what we're seeing with our our bank members. Um, however, you know, certainly we, we've been watching it very closely. The good news is for community banks, um, despite what we're seeing and, and hearing about in the media, um, you know, it's it's still business as usual. Um, you know, it's still uh, our, our banks are still operating and uh, and ready to serve their customers and their communities. That's the thing. And I'm really glad you brought that up is the the difference in scale and in function between these banks, SVB, hundred billion plus dollar bank working in crypto and, mm -hmm. and you know new technologies and so on. Gus, you're dealing with the opposite. They're in Newell, Iowa. You're dealing with folks who are, who are making things, growing things. Let me ask you, we've seen deposits increase at rural banks here over the past few years as the farm economy has been fairly well. How do, how does 
First Community Bank of Newell differ from SVB and how you handle these risks? Well, you know, uh, we want our deposits invested locally, Mike. And, you know, we do that mostly with uh, local loans. Uh, 80% of my loans are ag-related and uh, in our local community. Uh, if I have excess funds, I also want to invest in municipal bonds that support our local projects for the city and schools, and then anything else in short to mid-length government-backed bonds. The big thing is we know our customers, and they know us. Absolutely. That's what it comes back to is that human connection makes a huge difference. And I'm, I'm wondering then, Anne, if we bring the focus back to you, you mentioned that we have seen a lot of Federal Reserve action over the past three weeks. From the ICBA's perspective, are, are they doing the right thing? It's it's quite a quite a question. Are they doing the right thing? You know, they we give them the benefit of the doubt that using the facts and information they had at the time. Um, that, you know, they with the FDIC stepped in to, uh, you know, shore up the, the depositors and really, you know, restore some confidence in the markets following the SVB collapse. However, you know, one of the, the alarming things that we see um, is there, you know, where were the regulators? Where was the, the Federal Reserve and the other regulators um, at the time, you know, in the, the days, months, even years leading up to you know, such a dramatic collapse of a very large bank. We know from our smaller banks, our community banks are already, you know, so overly burdened with regulation and examined with scrutiny that really just, you know, defies logic when you think of, of sort of the risk taking and as Gus was describing his model, um, and which is is very similar to that of all of our community banks that are vested within their communities, not taking risk, you know, that that's going to, um, you know, create any type of uh, loss really for their their customers or their communities. So the the regulators in this case in the Federal Reserve, which had oversight authority for Silicon Valley Bank, you know, had the tools they needed, you know, they, they don't need more regulation. It's just a matter of whether or not they appropriately uh, were supervising a bank that was growing rapidly uh, and with, with pretty uh, vulnerable exposure. Yes, that's so true. And I think that raises an interesting question. Gus, you work with the FDIC all the time from the perspective of a community bank. And what would you like to see or how would you like to see the Fed's response to this be different? Or, or do you feel like they're doing the right job? Well, I think what we really need to see is the media and uh, regulators and Congress realize that there is a big difference between a community bank and those much riskier institutions. And we don't need to pay for the mistakes of mismanagement at those other places out here in central Iowa. Um, it seems to always be knee-jerk rules and regulations that get applied to all of us no matter the size or risk. For example, yesterday, the CFPB put in place an almost 900-page new rule called 1071, and that's going to put a burden on banks. It requires us to report information on our local small business loans. And what's the purpose for requiring that information? Well, we're not sure about that. Uh, many of the rules and regulations we have, Mike, uh, we report information and it goes to D.C. and sits in a bin somewhere until somebody decides to look at it and make a case for something. 
Okay, so that's 900 pages dropped yesterday. Nicole, we're also seeing here, or we're also hearing concerns that maybe banks need to chip in to cover some of the losses over these SVP and signature bailouts. What does ICBA think about all of this? Yeah, so that's a great point that when a bank fails, and in this case, um, with Silicon Valley Bank's failure, it's estimating, it's estimated to cost about over 20 billion in loss to the deposit insurance fund. And so the deposit insurance fund is exactly as it sounds. So when you put your money in a bank, there is deposit insurance. So you know if the bank fails, um, you know, certain amounts and in certain accounts are covered and, and essentially guaranteed, if you will, um, by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. So banks pay into that fund. Um, these are assessments on banks. So it's not taxpayer dollars. These are bank funded. Uh, in the case of the Silicon Valley Bank failure, um, they, the FDIC now needs to basically replenish the coffers, if you think about it in, in those terms, and go back and go back to the banks that contribute to the, the fund and say, okay, you know, time to pay up. We have to cover this loss. Um, and we at ICBA have been adamant um, working with our, our banks, like like with Gus, um, just letting the the um, FDIC board know that this should not be a cost that gets, um, you know, passed along to our community banks. Uh, you know, our community banks aren't the ones that are taking these risks. They're not the one creating losses um, and really the, the tumultuous environment um, based on the fallout of, of these bank failures. So uh, we are you know, vehemently opposed. I don't even know if that's a strong enough word to characterize um, how how much, uh, you know, our banks are, you know, just absolutely opposed to, to having to pay to cover for um, the mistakes and, you know, really the, the, the sins of the riskiest banks that are out there. Well, I mean, I think that's that's a fair assumption. I bank with a community bank in Iowa. I don't want to see my fees go up because they weren't managing their risk over on the coast. Now, and uh, in our time that we've got left here, as you look out to the future, what is ICBA encouraging the Fed to do? What's the, the message you want to get through here uh, about the banking crisis, particularly from the independent community bankers of America's perspective? Well, we want to uh, ensure that they keep understanding and, and differentiating community banks from the Wall Street banks, from the mega banks that are taking these risks. We also want our, you know, your listeners to uh, connect with their community banks, connect with their bankers. That's what sets us apart. We are here. We are invested in your communities. Um, we are financing rural and agricultural um, communities and, and farm loans. Um, that's what we do. Um, so we're hoping that they stay engaged. Um, we're hoping that any bankers listening, you know, continue to to reach out. We need to see a um, we need to see a strong farm bill, um, you know, with with crop insurance, with safety nets, and increased you know guarantees for USDA loans. So there are plenty of ways, you know, stay engaged, stay informed. And if you need to find a community bank, you know, go to uh, www.banklocally.org and you can find a community bank right in your neighborhood. Well, thank you both. Folks, that was Ann Ball, served the Independent Community Bankers of America, and Gus Barker, a First Community Bank, Newell, Iowa. Thanks to both of you for joining us, and folks, stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. 
your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Hi, I'm News Correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. 
The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on. And we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This time of year, when we talk about soybeans, the conversation generally focuses on the beans that are coming out of that soybean harvest down in Brazil and making their way onto the global stage. But while that big migration is happening down in Brazil, work is still being done around the world to drive demand for U.S. soybeans. And so much of that work is done by our friends at the U.S. Soy Export Council, and they've got some new initiatives that they're developing, a notable one over in China. Joining us now to fill us in on the details is Paul Burke. He serves as the executive director at the Soy Excellence Centers, the four regional hubs around the world that help promote American soybeans. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure, Mike, and I hope everybody out there is uh, having a great day. Absolutely. Let's talk about how we're going to make the day better for the American soy industry with this launch, Paul, of a new value chain innovation center in China. What is that? What does it mean? Okay, very good. Thank you, Mike. Um, so let's first of all uh, make sure that uh, all of our listeners know that China is still the most important export market for U.S. soy. While we are working every day to help to diversify our demand into new emerging markets, such as the work we're doing in the Soy Excellence Centers, we also know that we need to, to continue to uh, remain engaged and meet the needs of our Chinese customers because there's still opportunity for growth there, and uh, we have a very we're in a very good position in terms of our market share. We want to maintain that while we develop more demand in emerging markets. So the soy value chain innovation center in China has a very specific focus, and that is is to promote and differentiate U.S. soy from the Brazilian competition uh, that you referred to a little bit earlier. How do we do that? Well, we have a couple, we have many tools to do that. One of them is what we call the protein value calculator, in which we can, <laughs> excuse me, we can plug into numbers uh, the cost of Brazilian soybean meal and the cost of uh, U.S. Uh, soybean meal produced from U.S. soy, and be able to demonstrate with the higher percentages of available amino acids and energy exactly how much more money. Uh, a feed miller would earn by using U.S. soybean milk. Likewise, we have a soybean oil value calculator where we can show that the oil that's extracted from U.S. soybeans actually uh, provides a refiner with higher 
uh, uh, returns if they were to very specifically ask for uh, soybean oil, uh, ask for crude soybean oil from uh, U.S. soybeans. Um, some of the other things that we have, of course, is the uh, U.S. Soy, U.S. Soy Sustainability Assurance Protocol. We're working very hard in China to be able to demonstrate to the producers there who have their, their customers are uh, asking to, to know more about the sustainability of their supply chain. We, we're, we're meeting those solutions for our Chinese importers as well as their downstream customers. And, a, and the Soy uh, Value Chain Innovation Center will be a hub where we're going to be uh, working with the current decision makers in the Chinese soy industry and pre promoting these tools and this information that further differentiates U.S. soy. That is very cool, Paul. So the folks coming to the Value Chain Innovation Center, uh, you anticipate being executives coming to learn about how U.S. soy can make their businesses more profitable? That's exactly it. Um, okay. This is not a, too much of a, a too much of a difference from how we've been doing programs. But what, what we decided to do uh, uh, now is is to to localize it at one location, and we're doing this in Henan Province in China, which is a little bit different from the way in which we would have done this in the past, where we would travel around the country of China doing these particular uh, meetings and educations. Now we're trying to centralize it, and one of the reasons is is because the Henan uh, provincial government has really rolled out uh, the red, proverbial red carpet. They're offering us resources. They're offering us uh, places uh, to, to, to house the, the Soy Innovation Center. And so we're going to take advantage of that, and it's just going to make um, the overall administrations of our program in China a lot easier, and that's one of the reasons why we're pursuing it. But we are really excited with this launch. Paul, standing up a program like this in a foreign country has to be a time-consuming endeavor. Do we have a handle on what the setup and rollout time is going to look to get this Value Chain Innovation Center up and running? Well, uh, we've actually been working on this. Uh, my colleagues in China have been working on this, I think, going back uh, to um, last fall. And so we, uh, three weeks ago, we virtually signed a memorandum of understanding with the Henan uh, provincial uh, government officials. We did that uh, in Washington, D.C., and we had representatives from the Chinese embassy there. So we signed the MOU three weeks ago, and uh, actually in two weeks, our CEO, Jim Sutter, and uh, some of our other um, uh, board members will be going over to China uh, for the official uh, ribbon-cutting ceremony, and we think that we will probably be running the first uh, cohort of trainees through there sometime in April. So it's, it's been going, you know, the, the work has been going on for about nine months or so. That will be very neat. And then once this is up and going, obviously the, the value of American soybean relative to our competition around the world will have, uh, will have a, a better spotlight. It sounds like in China, Paul, that's gotta be exciting from your perspective with USEC. Oh, absolutely. Like I say, we, um, the, the U S soybean farmers through their, through their checkoff, have been helping us to create these tools, as I mentioned, the oil value calculator, the meal value calculator, the soy sustainability assurance protocol. And I cannot tell you how important these are to around the world, to not only in China, to differentiate and show the value of U.S. soy. You know, we're not always the lowest cost provider, but when you use these tools, you see that when it comes to uh, purchasing a slightly higher product, you're actually getting a, uh, a more favorable return on investment um, in terms of your throughput.
Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense sometimes to sell products on value, not necessarily on price. Folks, we've been talking with Paul Burke, the executive director of the Soy Excellence Centers. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Good luck to USEC and moving more U.S. protein overseas. And thank you, folks, for joining us here today for AOA. Tune in on Monday. We'll have John Baranek joining us with a look at the weather in the week ahead. And in the meantime, if you're celebrating Easter, folks, we hope it's a safe one. Enjoy the time with your family. We look forward to seeing you again here for AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. What a great organization. Helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.